0: From Rectangle Health, this is the Modern Practice Podcast, a show that provides you with fresh perspectives and practical advice from industry experts in the ever-changing world of healthcare technology. Every episode, we tackle a timely topic to help you stay current and simplify the business side of healthcare. Without further ado... Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Practice Podcast. I'm excited to be joined here today by Dr. Sarah Wooten to continue the conversation around scaling growth at your veterinary clinic. Dr. Wooten, thank you for taking the time to meet with us again. We're happy to have you back and excited for this discussion.
1: Thanks, Gary. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Let's get right into it. And the last time you were on the show, we spoke high level about Rectangle Health's Care Now Pay Later patient financing program. It was only recently launched at that point, and since then, you've been on some webinars and educational sessions, attended events. I wanted to ask if you could give me a sense of what the conversations around Care Now, Pay Later have been like between you and veterinarians.
1: Well, I definitely feel like they're more open to talking about these kind of ideas than they have in the past, just because of the current financial pressures everybody's experiencing and the fact that access to care has become such a hot topic. In fact, it's the platform of Bob Murtaugh, who's running for the AVMA president next year. So we're actively talking about it. Veterinarians have been historically slow to adopt new ideas where changes can be very hard for us, but but I've had the chance to introduce this idea, as you said, several virtual webinars, um, all about uh, how to handle the money conversation, and people seem intrigued about the solution And furthermore, they seem very familiar with it because anywhere else you go, you can finance anything from a piece of furniture to a pair of jeans. And so it's not something that they aren't already familiar with.
0: Yeah. And that's really a perfect segue into my next question. You know, when you listen to a podcast, watch on TV, anything about growing wealth, increasing revenue, scaling businesses... Um, Any book you read, uh, they all consistently say increase and widen your money streams, the revenue flow coming into you. So from a business perspective, if you had to estimate, let's say in one day, how much revenue is left on the table because of the financial barriers to care consumption for a pet, what would that look like?
1: Well, it varies widely from day to day, and it varies depending whether you're in general practice and just seeing wellness patients all day, or if you're in a specialty practice and you're seeing people for surgeries or oncology or in depth testing or anything like that. But if someone declines heartworm prevention, you know, you maybe have lost $50 to $100 revenue for that day. If they decline parvo treatment or surgery or a blocked cat, it's thousands. If they choose euthanasia over treatment, It could be hundreds to thousands that you've lost and you've lost your client. So I would say at a minimum per doctor, anywhere from, I would say at least a thousand to five thousand per day. And the reason I would say a thousand is because I think about people who decline dentistry all the time, all the time. Even if you're seeing people just for wellness and you notice that there's dental disease, and you tell them to do it, and then they decline it, well, that's, you know, anywhere from 1000 to $1,500. Furthermore, we have to look at the intangible costs of declined care due to financial barriers. And this is, we talked about this a little bit last time, but it's your increased staff stress due to moral distress and compassion fatigue. And that's a big one. I I, I remember all through the years, whenever a client would decline care, my technician would be really stressed, and she'd be mad. And then she'd go talk to other co-workers about it because, you know, we're humans and we have to vent. And then she'd take that stress with her into the next appointment. And it was just kind of a snowball effect that it would affect us all emotionally and mentally for the rest of the day. And then you have things like your potentially poor online reviews, it's damage to your brand, it's the time wasted for the staff and the exam room being tied up by somebody who's not going to end up doing anything. So I would say you have your definite financial bar- like costs that you can measure if you go into your practice software and you look at the client declined numbers, but then you have all these other intangible costs that we're not considering that's causing us to continue to have problems with occupational burnout, staffing shortages, not enough vets, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Thank you, Dr. Wooten. And those tangible and intangible negative effects, that snowball effect you mentioned, can ultimately be prevented if we remove those barriers to care and give the pet owners a manageable way to cover that cost. So assuming a clinic does adopt that financing solution, What does that do for the pet owners and for the clinic as a whole?
1: With this client getting the care that they need, they're going to feel better, um, obviously, because they've been able to save their pet. And then they're likely to come back to you. And so if the pet's otherwise healthy, you're looking at anywhere from $300 to $600 a year in preventive care. And then I always think about all of the lost revenue in the dentistry that we could be doing. That's anywhere from $800 to $1,500 per year. And then we have their sick and emergency visits that are additional revenue. Then the word of mouth uh, that they have with telling other people to come to your clinic because you've re- they've received excellent care, plus all the Christmas goodies you're gonna get from that grateful clients. <laughs> yeah. That's always a big uh, boost for your staff during the holidays. And I-, I don't feel like I need to go much more into it because we all know the value of keeping that client long-term the lifetime costs that are going to be associated with that pet that you're going to be able to hold on to where you wouldn't have before. And just because one person is in financial difficulty at one point of their life doesn't mean they're going to be there. That whole part of their life. I have to admit, I feel like I've been that subprime customer at some point. And, you know, it, I really needed somebody to give me a helping up now. And now I'm, a, you know, an amazing customer on so many different financial levels. And so there's just a lot of levels to this, Gary.
0: I want to take a quick step back to what you said in the previous question about you know, occupational burnout. It's not negativity, but it's, it's this sad feeling, right? When you can't treat a pet, when you can't treat a patient in any other healthcare vertical, you know, the staff is greatly impacted because that's what they, you know, went to school for. That's what they want their jobs to be. That's what they're there to do. And that sort of negative for lack of a better term, vibe, that's that's now looming over the practice, it, it could impact the staff's morale, like you said. So I really wanted to come back to that and put an explanation point behind it. Kind of get into margins a bit. Vets may be hesitant to adopt financing because obviously with the use of a financing option, Their margins take a a hit to certain percentage points. Assuming a vet continues to treat, utilizes financing, and instead of, let's say, 5K in revenue, they're taking in four. And then we take that and multiply it by just two pet patients. That's an additional 8K in earnings that they otherwise would not have received. At a hospital with larger and more complex procedures, you're looking at five pet patients for an additional 20K in revenue. So can you talk to us about those numbers and how you would sort of navigate a conversation with a clinic or a hospital on the fence about offering financing?
1: Sure, Gary. As I already said, access to care is a super hot topic in vet med. Um, It comes up at every conference I'm going to. And we certainly like to give a lot of lip service to it. But what are the actual solutions that we're coming up with? The facts are vet care has a high price tag. Not many animals are insured, and Americans have less disposable income than ever. So I see it that we have a couple of options. One, lower our prices, which means going bankrupt and closing our doors. Two, dramatically increasing volume. It doesn't seem possible with the current staffing shortages unless we get someplace with AI or being able to have more people working. Three, commoditizing care. Nobody wants that unless you want to go work at Walmart or the Lowe's veterinary clinics, which those are coming, and they may be coming online even before this podcast comes out. Uh, Four, we could uh, provide substandard, bargain basement care where we discount our services and we provide you know care that is not state of the art. Five, get really on board with pet insurance, which could be an issue if it goes the same way it has in human medicine, and I still don't think. See that happening because VetMed is still a primarily a cash business. Or six, use tools that provide instant high approval rate financing. I think some of the objections have been that, that hospitals don't want to pay to use that tool. They want to pass it on to a consumer who's already struggling financially. That is not cool. <laughs> and clinic owners say they want to increase access to care, but then they also don't want to attract a quote unquote subprime customer, which I think is judgmental. It's not compassionate at all. And it doesn't solve the problem of access to care, but perpetuates it and excludes people who really need help. So I think clinics, clinic owners have to think about this kind of financing as a tool that they are using to provide access of care. And yes, that tool costs some money, but in the example of subprime financing that you provided where the clinic would take home 80% of generated revenue. Well, 80% is better than 0%. And as you've already demonstrated in your $8,000 example, that's revenue that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And furthermore, you will be able to save a pet. You get to be kind. You get to generate good karma. You get to have less stressed out, more personally fulfilled staff that's less likely to quietly quit and good deeds always create more good. But at the end of the day, Gary, in this day and age, especially in America, considering the technology that we have at our fingertips and the knowledge we have, I don't think any parvo puppy should ever have to die because an owner couldn't get financing.
0: Truly what this uh, patient financing program was built for, to break down those barriers to care uh, for the pet, pet patients, um, for all patients, it, it could be in dental, ophthalmology, wherever. And then- like you said scale and grow as a clinic with incremental income that would otherwise not be there lastly it's that point of happier staff veterinarians doing what veterinarians do you know dental practices doing what dental practices do enabling and breaking down barriers to care so thank you for that i just wanted to shift away from the financing and talk for a moment about the current state of veterinary clinics across the country you mentioned that a few times already here today, um, you know, staffing shortages, very real and very big issue. So vets are overworked, vet staff are overworked, facing burnout. So I want to kind of hone in on your 16 years of practice experience. How do you navigate these challenges as the vet and for your staff? How do you improve the day to day?
1: Well, Gary, I know you wanted to shift away from finances, but I'm going to stay there for just a second because if a veterinarian is working on production, I believe charging what you know that your services are worth and maintaining an appropriate average transaction charge contributes to your well-being because you're being paid properly. So number one, don't discount. It erodes your value and your practice's value, and it affects all of us. Secondly, uh, I realized very early on that people, especially stressed veterinary clients or staff, they were really reactive um, and I educated myself on emotional intelligence, uh, recognizing the fight, flight, freeze response in humans, understanding that most of the bad behavior I was seeing around me were, they're basically undercover fear reactions for people that were projecting their pain and they didn't know what else to do. And so I adopted strategies to manage my own emotional reactivity, as well as learning how to manage that of others. And then thirdly, um, one thing that was very important was not overscheduling my days. You are a limited human being. Only see the number of patients that you feel like you can manage well and set some boundaries. And if the client has to go to another clinic to get services, don't stress out. You can only do what you can do in sacrificing yourself or your staff on the altar of productivity and service. It's just going to burn you and your staff out faster. And then I I lead by example, by not being a work martyr, by taking my PTO, by setting boundaries around my personal time, by exhibiting mindfulness at work and not participating in gossip or other toxic behaviors at the clinic. And I get help when I need it. I've been through loads of therapy and I used to feel guilty for taking care of myself because I was conditioned to put everyone and everything else before my needs. And I've learned the signs of low resilience. And I know when I need to take a step back and I know when I need to get help. And if I don't take care of myself, nobody else is going to do it for me. And my mental and physical and emotional well-being is my responsibility. And I know that I am my most important asset and I invest accordingly.
0: Thank you for that, Dr. Wooten. I think it's really important to be that self-aware. I just wanted to take a second for our listeners tuning in today. I encourage you all to visit drsarahwooten.com where you can find a ton of great educational content as well as upcoming upcoming event schedules. Really great stuff on Dr. Wooten's site. Again, that's drsarahwooten.com. I'll have that link in the description of this episode below. Dr. Wooten, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and learning from you again today. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show.
1: Thank you, Gary, for having me. I really appreciate being here.
0: Thank you again. One final note for those of you who would like to learn more about Rectangle Health's Care Now Pay Later patient financing solution. We'll also have that link for you in the description below. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Modern Practice Podcast. If you enjoyed today's conversation, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud for new episodes. And follow Rectangle Health on social media for
1: more helpful information, news, and event details. Thanks for tuning in.